Hey everyone, welcome to the Christians in Culture podcast and welcome to this episode, season two, episode four. This is the third episode in a mini series we're doing related to COVID vaccines with Lauren McKnight from our Camden congregation. And if you haven't checked out our previous two episodes, I'd encourage you to do that. In the first episode of this mini series on vaccines, which was actually season two, episode two, we chatted with Lauren around the issues of immunology and the science of immunology and the creation of vaccines and all those kind of questions. And then in our previous episode, we took time to address all the concerns related to side effects that come from vaccines. And in this episode, we are going to dig into the question of who to trust. Can we trust the FDA? Can we trust the TGA? Can we trust the TAGI and all the other organizations with long initials? Can we trust the government? Can we trust the media? Can we trust what we read on social media? What about all the different positions and perspectives that there are? There's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of information. There's a lot of misinformation circulating. For those of us that aren't in the know, it can be very confusing to know where to go. Well, Lauren is going to answer those questions for us in a balanced way. She's going to help us to, to navigate that minefield so that we can be confident in what we are listening to and that we know that we're taking on board the stuff we should be and ignoring the stuff that we shouldn't. So here we go. Let's get into this interview with this final part of this interview with Lauren now. All right, well, let's talk to the, this mistrusted authorities then, which is come up in various different formats. Um, someone said, there's, you know, there seems to be a constantly a fear-based narrative. I pick up, you know, you've mentioned the word afraid of long COVID and lots of stuff. So mm -hmm. there's that fear-based narrative and, that, and that's being coupled with this sense of we're, we're forcing people to get vaccinated because we're spreading a message of fear. Um, what would you say to that whole idea of a fear-based narrative? Mm. Look, that, that's, a, um, I think, a very nuanced uh, conversation there. Um, I think we, we throw this, you know, fear-mongering concept around very easily. Um, but the thing is that what's happening at the moment, the global pandemic and everything being disrupted and, um, you know, it, it, it's scary. And it's scary because it's unfamiliar and it's scary because it's something that's outside of what we can control. And so being losing our, our sense of control creates fear like that that always happens and so and yes people will um will always use those sorts of scary situations to um manipulate us and, and you know those, those who would have um ulterior motives whether they be um you know, whether they, they think they have good motives or whether they don't, um, you know, that can be used as a tool of control. And so we need to be really careful. We need to be really self-aware um, of who is who is making us afraid. Is this something that is a, an actual risk or has this risk been um, overstated? And I think there are there are a lot of things here. So have the risks of COVID been overstated? Well, maybe if you think if you're terrified that you're going to catch COVID and surely die, then okay, that that, that might be an overstated risk. Um, because, you know, most people who catch COVID don't die. And, and 
I don't think anyone is denying that. No, it's, but it's not, about no, no. which aspect of it is is being emphasised. Is it a valid fear that if COVID becomes widespread in our community, that the number of people who require ICU and who deserve the ICU and the best treatment that uh, modern medicine can give them, is it possible that that will overwhelm the system and so some right, people cool. will end up not getting the best possible care? Well, yes, we've that's seen that in other countries. Yes, um, we've, you know, that's fully consistent with the statistics, and so that is a valid thing to be worried about, mm. Mm. and therefore something that we should be taking actions to prevent. And that's why we're seeing these unprecedented, unprecedented levels of government um, control. And it, it is, it's, it's beyond what we would ever accept normally. You know, there's no way we would ever allow our government in a in a in the free world to restrict our movements the way that they are doing now but we also have given them a mandate to protect our health yeah and and so you know the only way that they can um keep their promise to to meet our medical needs is by putting on these levels of restrictions and yes we should be having conversations about that and we should be making sure that there's no overstepping of of powers and and things but um no one's winning from having the world locked down um you know there's there's no economic imperative to to keep people in their homes it's crippling economies and governments and so there's no motive to to keep lockdowns happening in fact the government would very happily uh, get us all back to spending and making money um, as quickly as possible and certainly they will. Um, But we know that you can't just leave COVID unchecked. You know, we've seen what happens when countries either do that intentionally or simply through lack of resources is that it quickly overwhelms and the economy is going to be crippled one way or another. Great thoughts. So if I can sort of bring... I guess, a theological perspective to that a little bit and add that on from my area, I guess, of, of expertise and having this conversation. If you you listen to this, watching this, and, and you're vaccine hesitant or you've got someone in your family who who is, I think, it, especially if it's this concern around, oh, the government is, is spreading a fear message or fear-mongering us, I think it's worth uh, asking the question of yourself or somebody else, whatever you do, don't try and just jump in there and straighten out fear with fact because fear is an irrational thing. So, uh, you know, all the all the facts in the world will not overcome someone's genuine fear because fear is fear or flight. You know, it's basically, it shuts down our ability to think, doesn't it? So, mm-hmm. so um, but, but, but helping a person to, uh, by asking questions and maybe asking yourself and saying, okay, well, are there areas where I'm a fearful? You know, what fears am I experiencing in myself that's ma- that I might be vaccine hesitant? Am I afraid that the government is holding out on me? Am I afraid of something? Because we're fear will be motivating all of us in some way, shape, or form in this matter. So, don't be afraid to ask yourself what you're afraid of. Is how I was yeah, thinking really of putting it. Uh, because and, and not all fear is bad. I mean, like you were saying there, if it's a, if there's a genuine fear that we're going to overwhelm our health system and we're not going to be able to care for the most vulnerable, that fear is there for a reason. That's there that we would do something about it, not just ignore it, dismiss it. So, uh, you know, and the other thing I would say to these friends is, is you know, sometimes we've got to do it afraid. Um, I was talking to Pastor Jeff Baxter, our associate at the rule, and he said, look, he came to the point where well, I'm about to turn 60. I've had a, I've had a good life. If 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 the risk that I'm going to get a blood clot and die, you know, is 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 I'm prepared to take that risk for the benefit of other people. 
So, you know, and there has to be a sense of we've all got to give up something here. And I, and I am concerned at times that it's a lot of times about well, our rights and all this sort of stuff, whereas Jesus is all about giving up our rights and, and, and taking on some of that acceptable risk because of the, the not just the benefit for ourselves, but the benefit, not even just the benefit for our family. I've heard people say, well, I'll do it for my, you know, I wouldn't get vaccinated except I'll do it for my family. Well, Jesus takes it a step further. And he says, even the pagans do that. He basically says, even the pagans, you know, do good to those who do good to them, love those close to him. But Jesus says, hey, you guys got to go further. You got to love your enemies. <laughs> so, you know, it's that sense of let's do something over and above. Let's give up something. Let's take some risk for ourselves for the benefit of other people who we may not even know that we're actually benefiting them. But, uh, you know, so that's a little bit of a, a theological, ethical dilemma to, to run with. Don't just sh- allow yourself to shut down because you're feeling afraid. Yeah. I think the other thing that's worth um, mentioning here is that it's not, you know, there's concern that the government is using fear to um, reach a particular outcome. But um, there are also, you know, <sighs> We're very quick to assign a negative motive to, to the government. other side, right? Yes, yeah, um, I know where you're going with this. The, the people who are telling you that the vaccines are full of toxins, the people who are telling you that um, the, there are deaths that have been covered up, they have a motive, they have a worldview. Again, whether they, are, um, uh, they have a malicious intent or not, um, they are pushing a point. They have influence and power to be gained, that there is certainly money to be made. Um, I, I remember there was a comment in the comment section that said, um, follow the money. It'll tell you where the problem is. And I said, oh, good, thank you. I followed the money. It led me to Facebook and Amazon. And I realised that, you know, <laughs> all this conversation is is simply to get clickbait. Yes, <laughs> yes You know, right. tongue-in-cheek, of course. But I did a, a little bit of desk research and I looked at the CEOs of... Um, yes, tell us about this information, Laura. This was fascinating. <laughs> I'm like, okay, you know, people are saying about all this money that Big Pharma is making and, and obviously, look, to be honest, I think that if you can save the world from a global pandemic, you deserve to make a fair bit of money from it. Um, but all that aside, are they really making that much money? Now, yes, the salaries of like the, not the salaries sorry the bonuses of the ceos of these companies that come up with the um the vaccines they were like a hundredfold bigger than normal because of these wins that they had gotten of landing you know getting a vaccine through to the global market in a pandemic good big reward all right but how does and, and you know it's hundreds of thousands of dollars or even um over a million dollars in a year and are we, that's ridiculous. Like, how could one person ever get that much? But if you look at those top earning CEOs in the pharmaceutical industry and compare it to um, your top footballers, your top celebrities, um, CEOs of um, technology companies and media companies, they they are neg- you right. can't even yeah. see them on the graph. You know, I was like, I'm going to make a graph. I'm going to use a log scale, but we don't understand <laughs> log, log scale very well. So I'm just going to leave it on a linear scale <laughs> and um, we're just going to have to like go, by the way, you know, go a metre that way and this, you'll this find is- file Jenna, you know. <laughs> like, yeah, that's like, right. I can't fit them on the graph. Yeah. <laughs> um, so 
Well, we need to take some reasoned, um, and it's hard. You know, we, we want someone to blame. We want to believe that we are in this horrible situation because of corporate greed, because corporate greed is really easy to blame. And don't get me wrong, I, I'm, I, um, I hate corporate greed, um, but they didn't cause COVID. Um, unfortunately, it's, it's, you know, it goes along with tsunamis and, um, and earthquakes as being just one of those things that happens in our broken yeah. world. Yeah. And, um, and I correct that one respond. of the, one of the companies is Astra or is it Pfizer BioNTech are not making any money out of the first round of vaccines or something. Is that correct that they were giving them at cost price or something? Yeah, look, certainly, um, you know, they, they certainly don't have to, to worry about that. There's certainly going to always be support for vaccines. And, you know, if you have a successful vaccine and the boosters from it, there's going to yeah. be, There'd be enough on plenty of market stuff. for it, right? Yeah. Yeah, something sure. everybody needs. It's yeah. the, the best yeah. product you can have is something that yeah. everybody needs. Yeah. Um, and, and so that's great. I think the other thing to keep in mind is that um, there's no actual such thing as Big Pharma. There's right. not like a, a team a big conspiracy. and with yeah. a, with that has a leader and, and whatnot. Um, it's a highly it's competitive market normally. Highly competitive market. Yes. If yeah. if there was so much a whiff of of um, antitrust behaviour, like you know, um, trying to get around the yeah. um, very it's one of the most tightly regulated industries, um, probably the most tightly regulated industry. If there was any hint of trying to bypass that, their competitors would be on them like mm, like mm. there is no goodwill in, no. in the pharmaceutical industry that would um allow them to conspire against the population with plenty which of makes money. it all the more incredible that we've had the level of unprecedented collaboration that we've had at the moment to be able to get the, right. this happening i would like to say that that's mainly at the scientists level. <laughs> <laughs> that's the scientists, not the pharma level is it <laughs> you guys are all working behind the scenes incredibly well yeah okay good all right that's helpful what about the concerns around the transparency of government expenditure any conflicts of interest that kind of thing um you know i know we're getting into an area that is not necessarily your area of expertise but i gather you 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 had some thought around this from what i understand yeah look i think um the the regulatory systems um, that are in place around this are, they're not set by the industry, you know, they're set really externally and they're set by people who, you know, I, I always think you, you want to look at people's motives and you want to look at the fruit of their work. Right? So what is the motive of, you know, say the um, Therapeutic Goods Administration? They are motivated to protect and, and to make sure that any approved treatments meet the highest evidence quality that's required. You know, if we wanted to go down the ivermectin route, which I don't think we necessarily should, but it, it, that's proof, you know. The reason why it's not approved is because it didn't meet the, the strong the efficacy requirements that, that exist. When I look at the motives of the, of the TGA, um, they are they align with my motives they mm. they align with with what i would want to see um of of protection and 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 good evidence um, some of that comes back to what i talked about in my first episode of this season which was 
it ultimately boils down to a trust issue. It, it's who do you trust? Do you trust the TGA or do you trust somebody else? Because the argument that people will be using is going, yes, but the TGA stand to gain or someone stands to gain by the COVID vaccine. Therefore, they're, they're fabricating or they're not uh, publishing the correct results around ivermectin. And we've got politicians standing up in parliament out, you know, in parliament waving ivermectin brochures mm. around saying this has worked. And um, so it ultimately, it does come down to trust. It comes down to do I trust that in in the Western world, I, you know, I'm hearing people saying we're living in a totalitarian society and we're living in a in a socialist republic and all of this kind of stuff. And, I, and I'm, I feel like thinking it's actually, first of all, it's quite disheartening and I, I wouldn't want to be a person living in China or a person living in North mm-hmm. Korea and hear us Westerners saying that because it's actually it must be so insulting to people who are really living in genuine totalitarian regimes for, with the level of freedoms we have in the West and the level of accountability we have. Yeah. Um, we're not even close to that scale. To that scale. Um, and so it, it ultimately does boil down to trust. And for me, it's, well, I'm going to trust that the vast majority of people, our system is set up in such a way that the, the vast majority of people will, uh, the, well, put it this way, the ones who... The, the things that come to the top and get approved is because of a rigorous approval process where most ma- the majority of people agree. And, mm-hmm. and I guess that does kind of lead to something you were saying the other day, and I know you wanted to talk to this because, you know, a lot of the accusations that people brought forward and we hear is, well, you know, anyone can find evidence to produce it. Anyone can produce a group of doctors that say such and such. And mm-hmm. all the, those that are dissenting against the status quo of the FDA or the TGA, they're being gagged or, or whatever. Um, you know, and that seems to be quite a prevalent concern. It did come up in our survey results. What do you feel about that? What would you say to that? Yeah, you know, the narratives that we tell in society, um, even around science, are often um, very individualistic. Uh, and so, you know, the we love this underdog story of the scientist that everyone thought was wrong but actually turned out to be right. And... Those stories do happen, you know, new findings are, are often um, contrary to the existing paradigms. But that's the good thing about science is that, um, you know, you, you do an experiment in a way that's reproducible and someone else can come along and reproduce it and they'll try. And then, you know, those those theories certainly do shift. But that means that you are cooperating in the sort of corporate scientific method which is is not an individual pursuit you know science is a is a collaborative effort and scientists don't really like confrontation and so what we tend to do when someone is um, outside of that and and is going against the way science works is we'll just tend to sort of okay you don't really represent that and so i get that that looks like they're being oppressed they're being gagged they're um, they're not being allowed to publish. The reason that they're not being allowed to publish is because what they're saying is is not good quality science. Yeah, right. You know, so, um, is that where that, the whole peer, peer review process comes in? I mean, people will say, "Oh, this 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 article has not been peer reviewed yet." That's what you're saying. It peer review process is I'm submitting this to the science body and they will evaluate my work and at some point they'll decide whether it's valid or not. That's the normal process you're alluding to, is it? Yeah, that's absolutely right. And, look, some of that has um, needed to be not bypassed but um, uh, just rejigged a little in in COVID because, you know, the 
peer review process takes a fair bit of time. Um, and so even before COVID, there was um, some moves to um, do something called pre-publishing. So as soon as you have a study, you'll, you'll put, upload it on a server um, so that other scientists can um, get access to it faster. But you always know, like you, you're not allowed to, to base grant applications or other research papers on something that's just a preprint, but it gives you that sort of ability to get on the front foot. Okay. So there's been lots of that happening. Yeah. Um, but what you can't do is do a study, didn't really work, maybe you preprinted it, but um, no paper's going to pick it up because it's poor quality. And then so what you do is you go to the fringe media and um, you or start a, a random blog. politician. <laughs> Right, and, and and you go, hey, no one's listening to me, and the rest of science is going, that's because, like, it's not good, it's not right. Like, it's not we, good science. Yeah, um, right. and then, oh, I'm being gagged, I'm being suppressed, I've lost my job, they're trying to silence me, and it's like, mm, just, like what do you want us to do here? Right, right, so, and so people have attached to that underdog mentality there. Yeah. Well, I, I was I was listening to some uh, a, a lecture about the story behind that British scientist that published um, a paper back in 1998 about the measles, mumps, rubella um, vaccine, vaccine and was linking it to autism and uh, realising that he was completely outed and it was that, that, the, that he was being funded by lawyers that were trying to lodge class action. But the thing that struck me the most about that was long after he was not allowed to practice that the the hesitancy the vaccine hesitancy or the vaccine rates in the UK dropped dramatically well below herd immunity and there were outbreaks of measles everywhere so the damage was done long after he was even stood down so with that in mind I can understand why the science community would be wanting to try to avoid that happening because the potential it's not just one person with, with the, our propensity as a society to latch a hold of that underdog mentality, we could actually we could actually go against public health. What's good for the public health is that is that part of the reason the fear the concern? That's that's absolutely what we're seeing. You know, I um, I it's really hard to know how to to talk because I I really do understand where um, where the general you know population is coming from, and I get that when there's so much so many voices circulating that it's really hard. But on the other hand, it makes me really, really angry to see, um, you know, to see it become identity politics and to see it become um, even a religious matter. So, you know, you'll see there's data come, starting to come out of the United States that, um, you know, white evangelicals are um, like, identifying as a white evangelical is associated with um, not just right-wing politics but also vaccine hesitancy. Vaccine hesitancy. Yeah. And then the other studies is that vaccine hesitancy is well, the main cause of not being vaccinated and it's the unvaccinated that are dying. And so you connect those data together and, um, you know, it's, it's Christians that are dying in these increased rates in in Florida and, and countries like that and that that is like we should be not okay with that no you know, we, should, are... we should be the opposite I, I, that's how I feel I, I 100% think that uh, we as Christians should be not standing up for our rights this is not well it's never right to stand up for our rights as Christians if our rights happen to be 
the same as the minority, maybe, but we should be standing up for those who who cannot speak up for themselves. And in my view, as as a as a pastor here, is you know, once again, I'm not speaking for C3, but my view, my view as a Christian leader is I'll give up my rights and encourage my church to give up my rights for those who cannot speak up for themselves, the, the, the marginalised, the immunocompromised, the, the people who genuinely aren't able to get a vaccine because they've got other reasons and so on and so forth. That's what I'd be encouraging people to do, not stand up for our rights. I think that's the opposite of the gospel, to be perfectly honest. And, and look, if we might be, um, we might need to really strongly preach that message if the risk benefit and like you know if if there really was um a detriment to us for the benefit of others then you know we might have to work a bit harder to preach that message but it protects like (laughs) the data is good like Mm. this these are effective and um the side effect profile is low like is you know yeah as far as medical interventions go, this is a really, it should be a no-brainer. And where Christians should be spending their energy, if you ask me, is um, access to vaccines for developing countries. Yes. Like it yeah. is criminal the, that yeah. people I agree. who are born in, in um, into poverty are not being able to get access to these vaccines. That's what we should be fighting for. Meanwhile, Let's go we're on talking about third doses for ourselves and we... And this is the crazy thing about it is that in, in poor hygiene, in the third world, in poverty, uh, while people aren't being vaccinated, we actually, are, not that we're trying to do us, not that we're focusing on ourselves, but we're potentially doing the world a disfavour because it's in those environments where more mutations are likely to arise, a higher chance of them arising in that in that part of the world. Is that not correct? No, absolutely. And that's, mm. you know, COVAX, the, um, the organisation that exists to try and, you know, partner internationally. Yes. To try and share the vaccines, they say that we we don't beat COVID until we beat it everywhere. Everywhere, yeah, yeah, great thought. This is this really is like a we're all in this together. Like we need to fight this as a um, united and you know I think everyone can agree that fighting COVID is a valuable thing to do. Like it, it it should be completely bipartisan. There's no reason for this to be a source of debate and dissension but people want debate and dissension they want Mm, someone mm. to blame they want to score political points um, out of the unrest Um, Mm. and i think we really need to be standing up and saying hey that that's not okay and that's something we as christians can do let's let's be justice minded and you know get justice and care for all is a central part of the doctrine and that's a big part of underlying theme behind this podcast really and our our worldview talk about worldviews out my worldview is that christians we are called to interact with our culture and bring the kingdom to earth and we do that by finding ways to love our neighbor and not stand up for our rights so this is this is one perfect way to do it and sadly i'm seeing what appears to be quite the opposite and uh, i know that i've backtracked in the worldview and i understand the the philosophy that leads some down that path. So it's, I'm not saying everyone's evil. I actually do think that there are, there's a theological underlying premise that leads people in the direction of what you're talking about there. Uh, you know, well, we're not, you know, we're not going to wear masks in church and we're not going to be vaccinated and all of those things, but often backtracks back to a, a parting of the ways theologically. And, and, and I, I come back to the point where I will fundamental to my Christian faith is not standing up for my rights, but speaking up for others. 
and caring for the poor and the needy and the marginalised, the widow, the orphan. And, and ultimately, that's what over and over again, I know I'm talking theology now, but over again, that is what the Old Testament prophets were constantly reprimanding the Jews for. It was, it was that they didn't do those four things. They didn't care for the poor, the widow, the foreigner or the orphan. They became elitists. They looked out for themselves at the expense of others. And that's the mandate of the Christian church. That, that's how we bring the kingdom to earth, friends. We do it by giving up our rights and benefiting other people. And so that will lead to, I believe, that the natural byproduct of that will be things like COVAX, like let's share the co- let's share the vaccines, let's let's be willing to take a hit for the team and so on, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. If if we have a problem with with big pharma profiting, then what we need to be doing is um, is putting pressure on the pharmaceutical company to use some of those profits to um, give free vaccines to developed countries. Good, good practical that should be the Christian pressure yeah. that that's getting put on pharmaceutical companies and there are ways to do that that don't involve standing up for our rights exactly that's not about us that's about the third world it's about helping somebody else so if you were giving up your vaccine to help you know to give it to then maybe i'd be okay (laughs) yeah yeah, i'm with you no unfortunately that's not an option we have no that's not that's not an option no what about untrustworthy statistics particularly things like underlying abilities we've noticed like the time of recording this uh, a large proportion of, of people dying um, are having being stated they had significant underlying morbidities. Uh, you know, I've seen memes of people with arrows through their head saying, well, I better do a, um, a COVID test to be sure, but I'd say, you know, you've probably got COVID, not, not being dead from an arrow through your head. So there's obviously mistrust around the way death rate is being, is being reported there. I would imagine that's a very complicated process because you've got to measure it against everyday death rates and so on. But what would you say to that untrustworthiness of the statistics or the the concern those statistics are being reported in an untrustworthy way? Yeah. Yeah. No, look, um, I I think it's less of a concern now than it was. I think, um, you know, everybody knows someone who works in healthcare and, you know, who's seeing the COVID wards. Um, You know, there's no denying that, people are getting very sick from COVID, right. you know, that um, I think when when you're removed from it and when all you're seeing is reports from other countries, then you do begin to wonder. Um, but I think it's, it's hit our shores enough now that we can see that, um, okay, people are getting a flu-like illness, testing positive for COVID and then they're having this very now predictable sequence of events that is resulting in them being ventilated and then passing away. Um, I think if you just want to look at statistics, it's the um, the excess deaths. So if you look at um, worldwide mortality rates, they have have absolutely spiked. And it is complicated statistics. You do have, you know, um, you do have to, to account for the fact that people die like they do and so if a lot of people are getting COVID and dying you have to understand that a lot of those people would have died anyway um what I find interesting is that um the the understanding is somehow flipped on its head when we talk about people who are dying after having the vaccine um so exactly um that same argument if you're going to vaccinate your whole population, we need to understand that some of those people some were people going to die, die already. Yeah. And so, again, some complicated maths needs to take place to make yes. sure 
that we're not seeing an increased rate of death due to the vaccine. That would be worrying. And that's what we talk about, um, the reporting and the statistical signals. And so they, um, that's why they have the adverse event reporting um, mechanism. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, so people can report any any adverse reaction, can't yeah. they? And so that that really is a, is a type of citizen science, and you have to be very careful with data that comes from citizen science. Um, you know, normally you would just completely discount that, especially if it's you know a biased issue. Um, mm -hmm. You know, someone could you could easily sway that data, yeah. um, and even subconsciously that data is going to be swayed because people are um, going to be you know hearing about vac has, um, sorry vaccine reactions and then anything that happens to them in the weeks after vaccine is going to be attributed so we're yeah. going to get that bias naturally and could so it be also fair to, fair to say that we might be under reporting on actual side effects because some people go oh, i got a sore arm or jill jill didn't report anything to say she was sick so so it, it's not a controlled group is it that's that's no, the point you're making whereas yeah. in a in a proper trial there's a control group which you get a placebo there's, there's it's supposed to be a diverse aspect of the population they take into account regular death rates all of that sort of stuff is all done it's it's complex mathematics isn't it yeah that's right so in the in the clinical trial the phase three with the thousands of, of people in each group um tens of thousands in each group um they did um diaries so they had to fill out a diary every day um about symptoms they were experiencing um they you know they were targeted for um ones that you know things like autoimmune disease and, and inflammation related conditions you know there were specific questions about those they go looking for um adverse events that um and and also there are unsolicited ones so anything sure. that happens it gets reported um once it's out you know once it's been approved temporarily like provisionally or emergency use or, or any approval um then it, it goes to a monitoring phase and so um there are there's surveillance but there's also this um anyone can report and so um then the statisticians look very carefully and what they look for is these statistical signals and so that's how they were able to pick up um the the clotting issue so hmm, okay lots of people are say having um strokes in the four weeks after the vaccine but hold on lots of people have strokes anyway okay um they, they did the maths there no the vaccine isn't increasing the rate of clots of right. strokes um we also seem to be getting some reports about people having um this autoimmune related um thrombocytopenia so there's this tts type clots and okay they're usually a little bit rarer and we are seeing that they're a little bit more common in our vaccinated population and again as you said lots and lots of people lots of data we can pick up these incredibly rare events and so then they're able to establish yeah, it's really rare, but it's real. But it does happen. It really is happening. Yeah. And they're seeing similar things with um, the uh, younger males with the heart inflammation. Yes. Yeah. Again, usually self-limiting, but a bit of a worry and something we should watch for. Um, again, Hence they flag it as a potential side effect. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Again, the prevalence of that particular complication with COVID infection in that age group far outweighs right um plus all the other potential problems with with covid 
um, even if the risk of that particular complication was exactly the same, um, you'd still opt for the vaccine. So let's put so to put this all in a, in a layman's term, where there is obviously a, a lot of spec, uh, a lot of concern in the general public about the trustworthiness of of information. Oh, you, you know, we hear things like, well, people can make data say whatever they wanted to say and all of that. So I think a couple of things that I'm drawing out of what you're saying is one, because we understand that proper authorities put into every possible conceivable contingency they can to minimise that risk with control groups and everything else. So proper regulated data while maybe not being able to completely remove that makes it much more minimal in comparison to anybody just plucking some figures out of it like we're seeing on social media. So that's the first thing. And second thing is that then when the figures come out, I'm also seeing people quoting or misquoting um, information that's in there rather than allowing the professionals, these really intelligent mathematicians, to actually be the ones who who tell us what the data really says. Yeah, yeah, because people go, you know, I've seen some Twitter posts oh, look at this report out of the TGA and it's saying that this many people died. They're not telling us that. It's like it's it's publicly available information. Yes. Yes. It's being interpreted appropriately by 90% the of key. the population. Um, and, you know, there's, there's, there is no controversy here um, yes. except for that which is being manufactured for the purpose of influence and... Yeah. So once again, where does it come down to? It comes down to who do you trust? Well, I choose to trust that there are mathematicians who know what they're talking about and they will model this and they will give us the information. And then rather than just because I read it on the internet, it must be true kind of thing. Okay. So I guess that's in the end, we're not going to convince people who are otherwise, but hopefully we're just giving you some food for thought there, which is to realize that there are really smart people who have paid well to do this, to do the science and do the maths. And, and somewhere along the line, we've got to be humble enough to realize well, I don't even have a science degree or a maths degree, so I've got to trust that there are some people who know what they're talking about who who I can rely upon, who are good people trying to do the best they can. And as a scientist, this is we haven't really touched on this, but as a scientist, it would be the same for, for medical professionals working with COVID patients. I imagine it's it's actually quite disheartening to see how, you know how much work you put in, you know how how much you genuinely want to do something and invest in the common good. And to see it pulled down by people who don't understand it must be quite disheartening. Am I, am I right there? Yeah. Yeah, look, it is. Um, and I don't want to put words in your mouth. but No, no, no. I, oh, I think I've, I've shared exactly that with you. But um, it is. And, but it's not, it's not like, oh, woe is me, people aren't listening to me. It's, it's not that at all. Um, you know, there have been a lot of pieces put out by um, emergency physicians, especially in, in places like Florida, you know, where it's it's just they've given their lives to trying to help people. They've shared as much as they can the information about the most effective way to reduce risk. And then people are coming to them and they're unable to help them. And that is heartbreaking. Must you know, be. If When someone turns to you and says, doctor, help me, and I, I can't. You know, I, yeah. I tried. You didn't listen. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's nothing I can do now. And... I will continue to put my life and my family's yes, life in danger yes. by exposing myself to you, but this is not okay. Yeah. Um, yeah there is a lot of disheartened um, medical professionals out there, scientists less so, we're used to being ignored. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but but you're yeah. right in that sense, medical professionals working the front line, working, working putting their lives on the, their family's lives on the line, uh, you know, 
in much the same way that the early Christian church did this, but back when we didn't have medical science and the plagues and all the rich people shot through, and it was the Christians that stayed in town, many at the risk of their own life, many lost their lives to help and nurse the sick and the poor. And it was the same as what our frontline medical staff do now. And they deserve they deserve more from us than, than disdain. I actually feel like it's disrespectful and it's actually not loving to them because uh, I don't know what it's like to be dressed in PPE for, you know, eight hours apparently they're wearing multiple layers i can't imagine how how hot it must be how hard it must be emotionally and they deserve our thanks and our and i, I to be fair 90 percent of the population recognize that but it's just there's a small portion that seem to ignore that or aren't even aren't even perhaps aware of that, that mm. that's what that's yeah. how their actions are actually playing out with these people yeah and yeah. you know look let's be fair it's not um the vaccine hesitant people that have caused that it's COVID that's caused that and COVID's I think we all that. we all need to direct our our grief at the virus right I um something I was writing I quite liked the phrase um you know it's the brokenness of the brokenness of the world condensed into a tiny viral particle like oh, such it thought. is it is our frailty mm. It is our inability to control nature. It is all the things that we wrestle with as humanity. Um, and, and it's happening. It's, it's what we feared, a global pandemic. You know, it's, it's here um, and really no one is to blame. We want to blame people and, and surely there have been some imperfect responses along the way. Um, my, um, you know, now there are some people who want to now put the blame on the vaccine hesitant and that's not accurate either. It's not going to help either. That, no. That's it. Yeah. But uh, I think yeah. sort of stripping all that away, you know, this is not a, a cultural war. This yeah. is humanity together fighting an awful virus. Thanks. That's great thoughts on that, Lauren. And as, as a Christian, you know, I've been talking with people lately and I've been saying, you know, the question we need to be asking ourselves is what does love look like for every one of us? What, what does it look like wherever we sit on this issue or any other social issue? Mm. Um, love looks like laying down what we want for someone else. And so thank you. I mean, I feel convicted even realising how I said that. It sounded like I was saying those that were vaccine hesitant uh, were, you know, I was trying the essence of trying to stand up for for uh, medical people, I probably mm -hmm. came across as though, you know, I'm sure most vaccine, vaccine hesitant people aren't like that. But um, mm -hmm. let's just continue to support one another and love one another through this process. So great mm -hmm. thoughts there. You touched on media a bit, the big co media companies. Uh, there seems to be too much trust or not enough trust. What advice do you give to people when it comes to where to, I guess we can put, where, where do you advise people get their information from when it mm -hmm. comes to media? Yeah. So I think that that is a really common, um, I guess, tactic um, of misinformation is to portray um, the mainstream perspective, you know, the widely accepted perspective as being um, just a construct of mainstream media as if, um, you know, I've, I've had a lot of people say, you know, if you just look beyond what the media is telling you, you'll find dot, dot, dot. Um, and, you know, that, that, that is offensive, um, telling anyone that all they're doing is just blindly accepting what a mm. news channel is telling them um, mm. is insulting. Um, and certainly I, I don't know many people who do get all of their information via um, a mainstream media source. So certainly looking beyond the mainstream media is, is 
perfectly um, wise and, um, you know, we need to know that every media channel has a particular um, bias and a particular set of KPIs. They need to get clicks. They yeah. need to get yeah. um, advertising dollars. And so we need to look as, as I've said before, the, the motives and the fruit. So, you know, when it comes to your personal health decisions, um, just like you would for any other medical treatment, you know, talk to your GP. Um, I hope that people would have a doctor that they trust. And, and look, I, I do recognize as well that, that some people have not had positive experiences with mainstream medicine. Um, they have found more benefit in um, alternative medicines. And, and so that then makes it difficult because, you know, if, if the alternative medicines are the ones who are, um, you know, engaging in some of these mistrusts then and and mainstream is is the one saying to get vaccinated then i then i understand that that struggle um and so i think we all need to um as much as we can try and um recognize the places where we are operating out of our worldviews um where you know okay you know my social circles are telling me this um is that really true and so, um, you know, find a scientist to help you. Like if, if anyone has particular, um, I, I don't necessarily want to, um, you know, engage in fruitless arguments. Um, no, I don't no, think that's particularly not. productive. But if there's no. a particular statistic that, that you, you feel um, is, is really weighing on your mind, you know, seek out those alternative explanations for the data that you're seeing. It's easy for me because I've got, you know, medical researchers as, as yes. colleagues and friends. Um, I know that not everybody has that advantage. Um, but Well, but even, even coming back a step to, to media, I think there's a couple of things come to mind. I mentioned this in the last episode. Uh, it's being aware of the fact that media does have its bias, even starting there and recognising that. I think uh, there's, uh, at times I think there's an underlying assumption that if something's on a television screen or it's on a YouTube channel, that it must automatically be correct. Um, and it could, it, it does have a bias. So it's understanding that, like you said, it's understanding that there are financial implications, why there's, there's all kinds of reasons why media would put something out there. Uh, but not all media is necessarily bad. I mean, there are good journalists who, the same way there are good doctors and good scientists trying to do things, there are good journalists that are trying to, to, to do good investigative journalism or good reporting as well. So um, it's not like we throw media out either. It's just simply being aware that it's, it's not a regulated industry to the same degree that we're talking about when we're talking about science and medical industry. It's far, the, the level of regulation basically means that in Australia, you can't have a monopoly on newspaper and, and television. But, you know, you can have, if you have 49%, <laughs> theoretically, you know, but you can have 49% of the market. I mean, and you, and you can do, it's, it's not regulated to that degree. So it's just being aware of that. that and you, I think then, you know, as little regulation as there is around the mainstream media, there's even less around social. Around social media, that's and correct. And so, you know, we love our YouTubers, we do, and they speak our language because yes. they can target just our tribe, you know, and as humans we find our tribe we and we mm. love to be um, feel included. And so I think we need to also be really aware of the, the biases that, I exist around social media and the complete lack of control and regulation. In fact, if there is control or regulation, it's it's um, 
it, it's in a negative sense in that you know, yeah it's, the, it's the control to generate more income <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's polarizing um, that's correct yes you know, if we want to go right back to the beginning and talk about an immunological concept um the, the reason that that t cells join their little categories so like your th1 or your th2 it's because they start to make a little bit of one particular chemical and then that tells them to make more and and so when you make more of it then you make more of it and it's this positive feedback cycle that it's called t-cell polarization and <laughs> that is exactly what social that's media that's what the media, social media is doing you read a little bit of of something and then oh it'll feed you a little bit more and then you read yeah. it more so it'll feed you more and and it yeah. is legitimately polarizing and it's designed to do that because it captures our attention so well and that's so I've talked about that thing. whole concept repeatedly on the podcast and I've said you've got to trick the algorithm. You've got to deliberately force yourself to find an opposing view and 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 do that in the event that you, you can do everything you can to get yourself outside your uh, outside your echo chamber. That's the terminology for it. Yeah. And we hear more of what we want. And so I, I think it's just being aware of that. I'm not saying don't go to media, no, don't go to forces, but just have an, let's just have enough now it's about us to recognize that uh, we are going to have to work very hard to go, okay, I see that article. Let me find something that completely contradicts that and measure the two side by side, force ourselves to do that. And as you're saying, well, I hadn't really thought about that until you put it in that letter that I read at the beginning. That flies in the face of our own sense of looking for safety. And I, mm-hmm. I haven't never really been able to articulate it that way. So thank you. But that's, it, it is, it makes us feel unsafe it, it, to, to do that very thing, doesn't it? To, to yes. go outside our comfort zone. So, and I, I hate it. I hate clicking on, you know, because I often go looking for misinformation to, right. to see what's out there and I hate clicking on it. And I'm like, oh, yes. I'm giving them clicks. That's funny. You need to um, keep that, that broad, um, broad intake. Yes, that's how we do it. A very diet. A very diet. Very good. So, we've got um, some questions around. The, it, it seems like there's waning efficacy um, against the variants. You know, the new variants are coming. Uh, in with that, we've got people saying, well, it doesn't actually stop the virus from transmitting, so why bother? Um, you know, you first you said two doses was going to be enough. Now you're saying we'll need boosters, um, that kind of thing. And the last thing in that category was, well, what about the safety for those who aren't or can't be vaccinated? So all of that whole, it's perceived as misinformation, but it's just... I think it's just we're learning as we go is how I would perceive that. But what, how would, what yeah, would you say to that? Look, right from the beginning, we knew that um, the the length of protection was going to be problematic. Um, we knew that uh, coronavirus is generally immunity doesn't um, seem to hang around for very long. Um, and, you know, that was they, there was so much scrutiny at the beginning to see if people could get COVID twice. You know, are we actually getting our natural immunity or can you get reinfected? And then there were a few cases of people that were reinfected and we go, oh, okay, now is that the exception or is it the rule? Um, and so, yeah, that, you know, COVID hasn't been around long enough for us to have gone through enough cycles of, you know, like the common cold, we know that we we get it and then a little while later we'll get it again and we probably won't get it again that year, but, you know, we'll... Um, yep. And, and, you know, influenza... Um, our immunity actually lasts well, but the virus mutates so quickly. The virus mutates much quicker with influenza virus. Right. It? Yes. Um, so, you know, this is something we're figuring out. And it is really going to suck if it turns out that 
to continue to be protected against COVID, you need to get a vaccine every eight months. That is going to be highly problematic and we're going to need to come up with something as a... What, what, why so problematic and what are your thoughts well, on why? Nobody wants to go and get an injection every eight months. Like, right, that's, okay. We, but, we I mean, a lot, of people, our... a lot of people do that for the flu virus every year, do they not? That's right. And, it, and if it turns out that COVID settles into a seasonality, then we might be okay. And, okay. you know, if it turns out that maybe we can even combine our COVID shot and our flu shot and we'll do it right. once a year and that'll be fine. Yeah. Okay. But if it turns out to be um, more often than that, I think that that's going to be problematic, especially when we're talking about um, developed underdeveloped countries or developing nations where yes. um, that sort of, you know, a yearly vaccine is, um, you know, even a yearly doctor's visit would be a, a privilege. So yes. I think that would yes. be unfortunate. But right. that's not, again, it's not the blame for that is is on COVID. It's on the virus, and, yeah. And right now yeah. when all of humanity is being exposed to this virus for the first time and health systems are being inundated, now, if ever, is the time to be vaccinating the whole population. Right. It, it does seem to me, well, I've seen quite a few comments on, on social around that and, and, you know, that seems to be leading to this mistrust. Mm -hmm. I've always thought of it as we call it practising medicine for a reason. I mean, it's not an exact science We, in that sense that it, it's an adaptive science. Science by na nature is is constantly changing and adapting to circumstances and learning as you go. And that doesn't, you know, we, uh, a simple example I, I give is that, you know, this time last year, or, you know, March last year, people were talking about the virus spreading on surfaces and that was the primary way it was spreading. And now we know, no, it's droplets. But that's that's not a sense that, they, that they're, they're feeding us wrong information. And actually, to me, it's a sense that they're prepared to adapt and change. They're not sticking to their guns. They're prepared to go, well, we're learning as we go. Isn't that a good thing? I, I think that's a good thing, to be honest. Yeah. yeah. At first, we thought that for the general population to wear masks was a silly idea. Yes. Because it was... Yeah. A, it was using up supplies because, you know, global supply hadn't caught yes, up yet. So that yep. was probably quite valid. Um, but second, we thought that it didn't, it was not likely to reduce transmission. And now we, mm. now we, now have we understand what it does. It's not perfect. And well, even some stats like, that came, came out, um, I was listening to the Corona, you know, the ABC's Corona cast recently, and they were talking, talking about Israel there, and they were saying, they were comparing the statistics with the spike since they've opened up in Israel and the spike in the UK, and both have spiked since their freedom days. Mm -hmm. However, they were saying that the hospitalisation rate in the UK is not tracking at the same rate as the as the rise. In the, however, it was tracking fairly much the same in Israel, and there was two possible reasons why, and it may be one or both. They said, one, it could be that Astra has a longer, because most people in the UK tend to get Astra, so more than Pfizer, so it could be that Astra is, is lasting longer. But the other thing they simply said is, is the fact that, as you said, the, the Israelis were among the first in the world to get Pfizer, and it could just be that, that the vaccination is starting to wane there now. So it's evidence for a booster shot. And yeah. I guess that's, also, you, you might know more on that, but that seems yeah, to be. There's also real nuance around um, the age cohorts. And, you know, we, um, we're not good at, at dealing with risk. We're definitely not good when you have to then segregate it by age. That's just way too hard. Yes. Um, but so in Israel, it was the elderly that got vaccinated first, just like here, they were prioritised. Like yep. And so it's now the elderly whose immunity is waning. And so the hospitalisation rate is increasing disproportionately just because that's the group who have, it's been the longest since. Who's been the longest time. 
the maths is incredibly complicated yeah. and any yeah. one statistic taken out of of place out of the the wide body of scientific understanding um, can be misinterpreted very so easily. trust the science friends trust there are people who know what they're talking about i think that's and who legitimately lesson. have your best interests in yeah. at heart yeah. you know i think that's that's a you know message no one's that these scientists are not having their pockets lined like we wish we would yes. get some yeah. of the some of <laughs> you the work hard money. you just yeah um, yeah sure but yeah well that was a marathon effort <laughs> have you got anything else that you wanted to add i think i've covered everything on the list uh thank you for your time but have you got anything specifically you wanted to add or something that's come to mind that we haven't discussed that you want to bring up no i think that is more than enough of <laughs> my thoughts <laughs> oh Lauren, <laughs> amazing. amazing thank you so much thank you that that i really pray that that will be encouraging and helpful so thanks everyone for being with us and uh please feel free to share this with anybody that you might have uh in your family or extended family who might like some answers lauren thank you for your investment into your time your knowledge and, and giving it on this evening for you know the better part of two and a half hours of time just to uh just to be able to give up that time to help other people is really appreciated. So thank you very, very much. Thank you. Really, really enjoyed it. Well, that brings us to the end of this three-part series on vaccines. I'm so glad that you joined us for those episodes. I hope that they encouraged you, brought you a level of calm and confidence that you can represent Jesus well. You can answer people's questions. And let me just round it all off by encouraging you to keep asking the question of yourself, what does love look like? What does love look like? Regardless of whether we're talking to people who have a different perspective to us, to be Christians in a COVID culture, to be Christians in a polarized culture, we need to keep asking ourselves, what does it look like to love our neighbor? What does it look like to be gracious and loving towards those who we might not agree with? Let's keep that kind of attitude because I believe above all else, that's going to help us to be effective Christians in a COVID culture. And I look forward to being with you in our next episode of the Christians in Culture podcast.